2: That's Chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and
0: conditions. 18 plus. Are you
1: ready for some football? We're ready for some football,
0: baby. Welcome to the FTN DataCast, the fantasy football podcast where data drives the discussion.
2: Here are your hosts, Adam Pfeiffer and Tyler Lochner.
1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is the FTN DataCast. Presented by the FTN Network. Adam Pfeiffer here on Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. Talking some best ball today. We haven't talked enough about best ball in this offseason. Been doing a lot of team previews, position previews, all that good stuff. But best ball has been, you know, it's been huge the last couple of years. And especially now with, with preseason, getting these last drafts in. To, to talk best ball, I had to bring on Pat Corain from NBC Sports Edge. Follow him on Twitter at Pat Corain. Pat, we haven't talked in a while on the pod, probably since a uh, couple, probably like this time, maybe last season with DeBro. But uh, I know you're grinding. What's going on? And uh, how are you? How are you coping with the fact that Ronald Jones might not make the Chiefs 53 man?
2: Yeah, it's a bit rough. Uh, thanks for having <laughs> me on. Thanks for kicking it off with that. Um, <laughs> you know he he was repping with uh, he was repping number two behind C H uh, yesterday or today, I guess. Um which, You know you do like to see. Uh, but, yeah, it does seem like his roster spot is in real jeopardy. Isaiah Pacheco looking like he might be flashing some of that athleticism that we knew he had, um, but behind a much better offensive line in of Kansas City than he had in college, uh, actually doing something with it. And I think the big thing with Pacheco is that he is in line to be the starting kick returner for the Chiefs, which not only means that he's now very likely to make the team, but also that he should be active on game days. So, right in some ways uh is, you know, one of the foremost Ronald Jones truthers. It's almost like his best case scenario is now potentially being somewhere else because uh I think his worst case scenario might be staying with the Chiefs and being a healthy scratch for most of the season. Yeah, I think
1: it's my fault because I, this entire offseason, I was like, Ronald Jones is probably my favorite zero RB candidate. And I think I even like tagged you in one of the tweets and I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like, the chiefs don't give goal line carries to Clyde. Like he has six over the, he had six in his first game as a rookie against the Texans two years ago inside the five carries. He's had six cents. Like they don't give him that. So I'm like, Oh, it's Ronald Jones time. And it just hasn't looked like it's going to pan out, but I appreciate you stopping by. Yeah. I don't know. I don't don't know why I had to start with that. Just, well, uh, I will say
2: I've seen, I've seen Clyde Edwards, he layers ADP jump up a little bit because I think people maybe feel more comfortable that Ronald Jones isn't coming for him. But like, I don't think that's the right interpretation of, of, uh, what's going on. Like, I would still be cautious on Clyde Edwards-Elaire. I think, uh, it makes sense to go after Pacheco, although he, I believe he went in the seventh round of the, the, uh, main event draft that Established Run did last night. I think wow. he went in the ninth round of the one that, that we did on ship chasing. Yeah, I think he went um, ninth in the draft I completed today too. Like ninth or tenth. Yeah, that seems like, okay, we're now pricing in a lot of the upside. Um, but I don't know. I'm, I, I, in best ball, it's tough because you don't want to have a guy who gets cut. And McKinnon, I think his roster spot isn't 100% safe either. But I do think that, uh, you know, maybe right now McKinnon in redraft leagues might be the best, like cost adjusted bet. Uh, I still, I still don't want to be chasing Claude Edwards Elaire as he moves up. So before
1: we get into all the best ball talk, uh, tell everybody about what's going on over at NBC Sports Edge. Obviously a lot's been happening there. The past, you know, handful of weeks, but uh, in terms of content, in terms of what you're doing uh, individually as well,
2: yeah. So we just had a full day of uh, drafts uh, and and draft content over on uh, the NFL and NBC YouTube channel, uh, the Roto World uh, Draft Day. Uh, we we did twelve straight hours of streaming. So there's tons of good content over there. If you want to check that out, I just had I just published. A two-part series on best ball strategy it would be pretty relevant to what we talk about today. Uh, diving into trends uh, over the last couple of years on underdogs specifically. Looking at uh, kind of tournament winning upside that we've seen from a weekly basis uh, to do that. Going back and looking at the FanDuel optimal lineups over the last three seasons to see like where these spike weeks that actually tilt a slate are coming from in ter- in terms of where they're coming from within best ball drafts, where they're actually getting drafted. So that I think was pretty revealing in, in terms of helping us dial in some of the, the roster construction stuff. And uh, next week I'll have my article out on the legendary uh, running backs for this season, uh, building off the work that I did last year uh, to establish this profile we're looking for, for the running backs with massive, massive upside. And I'll be, Applying that lens to the the high, highly drafted running backs this season. Yeah, absolutely
1: recommend everybody check that out. Uh, when it hits, uh, Reddit last year it was awesome stuff. And it's important. I mean, that's what you're looking for in best ball. You're looking for the running backs, you're looking for what we saw from Jonathan Taylor, even like to an extent, James Conner from last season, right? Like, like you're looking for that running back who has maybe not to, uh, massive extents for Taylor or Conner, but like, an elite ceiling in terms of goal line and or receiving work. And we saw that especially for the goal line work for those two. Um, but let's talk about best ball. Let's talk about, you know, strategies because it's, it's tough to kind of realize it when you're doing it as much as you are and everything like every day, it's best ball drafts, it's best ball content, whatever. But like, I'm sure there's people every single day and each of the last couple of years that are new to best ball. So like overall, like, I, I mean, you can talk about. I'm sure, pretty sure that most of the listeners know exactly what the concept is, but like, if you want to just kind of touch on that in case anybody's new, like what it best ball is, and and then go from there, like with strategies, because there's a lot of different ways you've seen people build rosters and different ways work, especially in these uh, you know huge tournaments where like you have to get. It, it almost becomes like a GPP at a certain point.
2: Yeah, so I mean, the basic concept of best ball, right, is you have a lineup where the every week the the system is going to set the best version of your team within the starting lineup requirements so you don't have to worry about start sit there's also no waivers and uh that means uh, that means a lot of things i mean because there's no waivers and this is i mean these are very that's very basic but i do think that some of the concepts you know as someone who does a lot of best ball i often kind of have to remind myself of like okay there's no waivers here that means taking a zero on a player is a much much bigger deal Then in redraft where you can simply cut a guy and move on, and and I think thinking through the risk profiles on some of these players probably didn't do a good enough job of that when thinking through Ronald Jones' risk profile, you know, because if he gets cut and you you spend a 12th or 13th round pick on him, that's a real problem in a best ball roster where it's really not a big problem in a redraft lead because that's a, a pretty cheap pick. You can find someone on the waiver wire. Sometimes having guys to churn can be a good thing. Like you, you actually want to know binary outcomes. Like this guy's either someone I can start or this guy's someone I can cut. Best ball is a little different. Where having guys who, you know, you would normally cut if you have too many of them, you've got three or four of those guys can really sink your team. So I think thinking through those risk profiles is pretty important uh, given the, the different uh, lineup construction um, or different uh, scoring settings. I mean, the other thing is that when we talk about best ball, you know, what we used to mean is like, you're trying to win a 12-team league, you're drafting, you're drafting a draft, you don't have to look at it again. And the goal was to win a 12-team league and you draft a bunch of those and, you know, you kind of grind out like a decent return on that. But that's not really what we're talking about anymore. And this is something that I wrote about in the articles on Roto-World is that, We are now talking about a different format for the most part. Um, You know, if you play on drafters, uh, NFC, they have leagues where, you know, you can do kind of a tournament version of best ball and the person who scores the most points across all leagues for 17 weeks wins that tournament. And that's, I think, closer to to sort of traditional best ball. But underdog, DraftKings, FFPC, the way these tournaments work is that there's four rounds. The first round is kind of a traditional best ball round where you're trying to finish usually top two within the league. But then you have to win three straight single-week tournaments. And I think thinking through that is really, really crucial. Like, you need to optimize your roster to be able to score a ton of points each week for three straight weeks. And you also, I think, want to think about how big the final week is because best ball mania is 470. There's a $5 millionaire tournament on DraftKings that's 969. There's some DraftKings tournaments that have a 20 person final. And if you need to win a 20 person GPP compared to a 969 person GPP, you know, if you were doing that in a DFS tournament, you would take very different approaches to that. So I think really thinking through these playoff weeks, the playoff sizes, all of that is absolutely crucial and kind of where we're headed in terms of like best ball as it, as it moves forward, I think.
1: Yeah. And that's a lot of where you're seeing, especially the, I feel like it's more prevalent this offseason. season. We're seeing a lot of the week 17 correlation stuff. Um, I think what this time last year it was um, not even really discussed. And then, well, obviously because, you know, week 17 wasn't a thing last season, but you get my point, but like, yeah, like that's, that's huge with that because you need to have that massive ceiling and, and ways where, you know, you say you have a stack of, um, whoever and you know the other team goes off like that's just going to give you such a leg up to like you said differentiate in that tournament kind of um aspect it's again it's it's a it's a way that i sometimes almost forget to even look at it because you're so used to just drafting and being like okay i just need to beat you know whoever i'm playing this week or whatever but um you know underdogs obviously taken off it's been it's it's gotten to the point where it's like I'm drafting and I just realize that I just filled in another one and I another one and another one it's just <laughs> like it's it's probably what Underdogs how many years old now like 3 4 3 I think yeah and this and it's, is
2: I believe the third this is yeah, it's best one maybe 3
1: yeah and it is absolutely taking off so um overall strategy wise for you I mean is it really just dependent on where you are in the draft and and what because there's obviously ways that you can go with the draft, right? We know there's zero RB, there's, you know, anchor RB. I, I have my favorite strategies, but like I, I've gotten to the point where I've done so many drafts and I find myself always, for whatever reason, drafting the same spot. So I struggle with like, I clearly like these players at this spot, but I also don't want to have the same build. If I have the ninth pick in all these drafts, I don't want to draft the same looking team from nine overall in the majority of my drafts, because especially in these large tournaments like that, that could. You Know that you're, you're kind of not really hedging.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that has come up with me as well. Where you know, if I have JT, you know, or if I have CMC, I haven't had a ton of one and twos. It feels like I don't know. Maybe I have. Maybe I've got my fair share. But you always I have the more. ninth pick in every draft. I swear, <laughs> it's <laughs> <Yeah>. ridiculous. <laughs> Pizza. Pete Oversett did his best ball guys video this year, and that's how he opened it. I have the 110 in every draft, which is something, (laughs) something I've literally said. So, uh, I'm, I'm with you, but also complaining about it, I feel like is, is, uh, is a little cliche now. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm always, I'm always wanting more one twos. And when I get a one two, I kind of want to build it with my favorite guys there. And so it's sometimes a struggle to, you know, say, well, you know, maybe I should really, you know, I don't tend to take like, I don't know, a ton of Leonard Fournette or something. So now I'm going to do that. But it's like, well, I don't want to waste one of my JT bullets or something in my mind. Uh, I understand other people might be really excited to to pair those two, which I get. But um, but yeah, that can be difficult to to maybe not build the exact same team every time. But I think it's helpful to go back and review, you know. And, we, and there's a lot of good tools. Spike Week has some good tools on kind of mm-hmm. reviewing what pairs you already have. And so I've done that to kind of break ties and um, and all that. Yeah. So in terms of the strategies, like I do think, you know, I know what you're supposed to say is, uh, you know, let the draft come to you and everything. But I think early in the offseason, I'm more willing to push some zero running back starts because – there's going to be more chaos to come like there, right you know you've got a whole summer of chaos ahead of you whereas i mean look at i use last
1: year as an example with the daryl henderson situation it can't exactly. like like if you had builds early in the offseason where you got daryl henderson in the you know eighth ninth tenth round or whatever like you had such a huge advantage because you were also he I, i'm pretty sure he climbed up to what like the fourth round by by the end of the summer like that's and that's why under that's why best ball is so interesting because like you can draft as soon as you know possible almost so it's like if you're if you're drafting a, you know a large majority of your teams early like that could both be really advantageous but it also also could be like obviously a lot different obviously with news you know I mean <laughs> preseason right now like things have changed drastically over the last
2: week let alone the last couple of months. And if you're drafting early, I think you have to be prepared to know that you're gonna lose some of those teams. You're gonna oh, yeah. draft like I drafted it, I think I had twelve percent. I have a lot of DeAndre
1: Hopkins teams to start this off
2: season. Yeah, there you go. Um so you lose you're gonna lose guys. Um you're there's just gonna be unforeseen stuff. We're just gonna know a lot more later, and you're gonna look back on some of those teams and they're dead. They're completely dead. So with that in mind, I think you also wanna set yourself up to have some monster teams. And You know, one of the best ways to do that is, you know, to target running backs who have a ton of contingent upside in those early drafts and to really be in position to benefit from landing those guys, right? Like if you're a zero running back team and you land last year's Daryl Henderson, it's just so much more impactful because now you also have incredible wide receiver depth and incredible wide receiver stars. More importantly, maybe you've got an elite tight end. Maybe you've got a couple elite quarterbacks and now you know a team that was going to be weak at running back to start the year is just fine. So, I think that's, you know, there actually hasn't been uh this year's Daryl Henderson so far and and you know hopefully there won't be uh Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh,
0: a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs>
2: However, I do think, you know, it's a chaotic league. And so it, I think it probably makes more sense to build more zero running back teams early in the offseason and then probably more hero, superhero running back teams or, hy- or even hyper fragile teams, um, uh, maybe later, uh, well, especially in that period with, where we know the most.
1: Yeah. And especially with like the last month, I mean, the three players you probably have heard the most about, I don't want to say the most in terms of like all players, but like among the, you know, t- players going consistently in the top six, seven rounds have all been running backs. It's pretty much been Antonio Gibson. You're hearing something every day about now, Josh mm-hmm. Jacobs and Montgomery. And it's like, I don't find myself in a single draft where I'm like, okay, I, I'm, I want to draft Montgomery. I, I like, so like that is a huge reason why so many of my builds have been, you know, hero running back because I just don't want to draft Montgomery, Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, um Antonio Gibson. And like, I'm I also at the same time, like I think there's a lot of running backs that go later on that have potential and pass to that contingent value, like you mentioned, and that contingent upside. Like Ramondre Stevenson. We know Tony Power's in that range. And now we're hearing more about some other players. I mean Damian Pierce is starting to rise the last couple yeah. of days. Um so like I, I it's I struggle with like wanting to differentiate my teams, but at the same time, like every time I'm in that five, six, seven round range, I just don't want to trap the running backs that are
2: there. I'm with you. Yeah. And I, and you're seeing that you're not alone. I mean, those, those running backs are really starting to fall. Yeah. Gibson you, you see in like 90th overall sometimes now it's insane, which at this point, I mean, I think, you know, that's probably a value because yeah. you know, to the point of like the best ball versus managed, like if you take Gibson in the eighth round or whatever um, in managed, he's probably not really helping you much, even at that price. Now, maybe if you're like a true zero running back team to that point and you could really use like a, you know, an okay starter for a bit, um, you know, he could be helpful, but there's still some wide receiver upside in that range. Uh, so it's, it's just not as impactful because in best ball again, you know, to have the the times that he slots that he scores uh, a touchdown, it gets slotted right into your lineup and you're kind of maximizing that spot and getting usable weeks to kind of Mike Leone is kind of, Popularize that idea of you know getting those guys into your lineup, just kind of helping you chug along and actually advance to the playoffs. Just way, way more important in ball. So it's kind of been interesting to see just how far Josh Jacobs will fall in some drafts, and and how far Damian Harris will fall, and how far Antonio Gibson will fall. I think yeah, but we've seen con- the ADP switch between Stevenson and Harris. Like Stevenson which, goes ahead of him now, which I agree with. But at the same time, same. when when Harris falls far enough, I will take him. In best ball. So that's something I try to be, you know, cognizant of is, is just like, maybe I would never take David Montgomery in, um, well, he's a bad example because I literally haven't taken him in best ball yet, <laughs> but, but, uh, maybe I would never take Josh Jacobs in a managed league or a high stakes league or whatever. But, um, but I think you, you do need a price at which you're, you're willing to take him, uh, in best ball. Uh, yeah, I think that's just something to always be thinking through. Uh, let's talk about stacking and, and quarterbacks
1: because uh, obviously stacking is very popular in best ball. It makes a lot of sense. The correlation obviously fits. Um, are you – like we see a lot of drafts where like you're, you're – and it could be tilting because like sometimes you'll be trying to set up a stack and somebody will take a second quarterback like six, seven, eight spots ahead of ADP and you're just tilting beyond it. Like, it, oh, it doesn't ruin the draft because there's obviously you want to have outs, I think is, is what I'm starting to get better at too. Just have potential outs in your roster build, but it's still tilting nonetheless. Um, how important is stacking to you? And how do you approach quarterback position? Because like with your builds, right? If you draft a quarterback relatively early, if you have, you know, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, you know, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, are you still comfortable drafting like a, another, a second top 10 quarterback or you're saying, like, you know what, like I'm, I'm or is it just really depend on again, the, the, the way roster construction looks like, because if you have secondary stacks, like there's still massive upside to having two top 10 quarterbacks, but you can also see pass where, you know, two later round quarterbacks and one of that, one of those quarterbacks hits.
2: Yeah. So from the quarterback thing, um, you, if you think about it like this, like imagine you were to take Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, which would be about the most expensive way you could do it. Right if you have those guys there's a pretty good chance that you know one of them has a really strong week 15 and so if you've advanced the playoffs in these best ball you know an underdog best ball mania whatever then one of those guys having a really strong week 15 will be very helpful in you winning a small field GPP uh, to advance to week 16 and then there's a pretty good chance one of those guys will have a, a big week 16 as well and that will, I think it's 16 people that you need to finish first among in round, uh, in the week 16 tournament. Having that quarterback score would really help you again in a very small field GBP. But then you get to week 17 and now all of a sudden the fact that you took Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, even though you were good enough to advance that team and be in the top two of your 12 team league and then you advanced week 15 and then week 16 you don't have like a third or fourth round pick that everyone else in a 417, 470 team final does have. And those teams are all going to be really, really good. And so I think you're kind of playing with one hand tied behind your back, even though the construction potentially helped you get there in the first place. So I think, you know, that's kind of the most extreme example, but you probably want to think through like, okay, well, if I have Allen and Kyler Murray, you know, that's maybe a little less extreme, or Allen and, you know, Trey Lance, when he was going more like in the eighth round, uh, you know, whatever it is, I think you kind of, and I'm not sure exactly where the balance is, but I think there's some balance there where, you know, to have a chance for two quarterbacks to help you get through those small field weeks in week 16, 15 and 16, but then still have enough firepower to take the whole thing down in week 17. And I think you probably do want a quarterback within the first nine rounds of the drafts or so like someone who's got mm-hmm. weak winning type of upside, which I think we've gotten pretty good at identifying like six years ago, Trey Lance isn't going in the sixth round uh, in August, right? He's, he's probably going in like the 12th round, you know, because we haven't seen it yet, but I think we just know how powerful the rushing upside is, you know, the Kon- Konami code idea is really ingrained in the fantasy community now. Um, and so I do – I do think that if you were to sit out that elite kind of tier entirely, now you're tied, your hands maybe tied behind your back in terms of getting to week 17, where, you know, if you're betting on Derek Carr and Tua, I mean, one of those guys having a really strong week 15 and a really strong week 16, much, much less likely than if you've got one of the elite guys at least, or, you know, if you were to have like a Lance and Russ. So that's kind of how. I'm thinking through it. I'm and I'm experimenting. I'm I'm doing some teams where I've got two quarterbacks in the first nine rounds. Somewhere I've got like I'm a Holmes and then I'm punting to like a Zach Wilson. Well, <laughs> maybe Mac Jones now that Wilson's hurt his knee. Um, but I, I was doing a decent amount of of Wilson and uh, somewhere I'll do like you know maybe uh, a Kyler Murray and a Trevor Lawrence, something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm generally pretty much always sticking to two quarterback builds for the most part of experimented a little bit with three, but I do pretty strongly prefer two quarterback builds. Um, and I am prioritizing getting at least one quarterback in kind of that, maybe not elite, like truly elite range, but, but generally kind of like the Russ and earlier type of tier, like Dak and earlier type of tier. Yeah. And like,
1: there's been a lot of drafts where it's like, I just, you know, it just happens where like somebody takes a couple quarterbacks early and you miss out. And like I, some drafts I get stuck with Kirk Cousins and, or Derek Carr, which I'm fine with, but you have to also realize and understand that the ceiling isn't even close. Um, compared to some other players, obviously, or a lot of the other players in terms
2: of stacking, of the, like go ahead. Well, one of the things that I, that jumped out to me with, um, the, the article that I did on quarterback strategy. This is a concept that Sean Siegel's talked about um, where you try to get three quarterbacks kind of before the late rounds. And so maybe, you know, maybe you end up with like a Stafford and then you get Kirk Cousins, you know, and Jameis. So you're getting guy, or, yeah. you know, or and Trevor Lawrence, you know, so you're getting guys, three guys that all have like an OK chance at having a big kind of spike week performance. And avoiding the guys like Jared Goff, you know, Mac Jones, who are probably pretty unlikely to be genuinely helpful in the playoffs, where those guys are probably much better in terms of just helping you fill in for a bye week in the season, the occasional down week by Josh Allen or whatever. I think those guys are much better paired as the second quarterback in a two quarterback build with an elite guy than trying to tack on as you know at three quarterback builds if you're going three quarterbacks i think maybe being even like more aggressive where you have three pocket passers where you're just hoping you know maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle with them but those guys actually have legitimate ceilings you know like aaron Rodgers has a legit weekly ceiling it's just gonna be hard to predict because he doesn't rush
1: yeah and like we saw like, again; it was probably something that's just not sustainable. But we even saw it with Jameis last season. With his, I mean, his touchdown rate was insane. But like, yeah. But there, and the other thing too is like the quarterbacks that go like probably I would say after the cousins, Car, Rogers tier like Lawrence, Fields, Tua. Like outside of Tua, really, all those quarterbacks you can backdoor stack. Like Trevor Lawrence, you can backdoor stack with, uh, you know, Marvin Jones. Uh, you can. Potentially, have already had ETN on their roster, who fits that build. You know, the tight ends. Uh, same with Justin Fields, who is the second straight year now. I'm getting a lot of Fields commit Mooney stacks. Um, you mentioned Zach Wilson, who, like, again, obviously, he might miss w- week one or two. But, like, especially early in the offseason, like, there was a lot of Jets builds that were kind of nice as, as Wilson as a secondary quarterback. So that's the other thing I do like about finding that second quarterback is, for the most part, like, you will – even Rodgers, like – Rogers, I probably should have led with, like, you can get Rogers backdoor stacks pretty easily now. Super until, easy. Well, until Romeo Dobbs goes in the fifth round. But other than that, like, <laughs> like, there's a lot of quarterbacks in that range that you can We're just, getting close. I, 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 I joke, but like, he has, he has one more ridiculous touchdown or something in the preseason. He might just swap with Lazard. So. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I completely agree. You can backdoor stack all those guys and, you know, one thing, like, you talk about getting sniped and everything. Part of me, I mean, I see stuff on Twitter where people are like, oh, should I, should I take this quarterback? Should I snipe him? <laughs> and it's like, man, so you're just going to, like, burn that team, huh? Like, I would so much rather have the double stack set up and not get the quarterback than get the quarterback, unless it's, like, Lance or something. It was, like, Hurts, like, pure yeah. kind of rushing upset. I'd so much rather have the skill player double stack without the quarterback. We build like this in DFS. Like if you're, if you're doing a GPP, uh, I, Leone and Wiggins a couple years ago had a, I think, yeah, it was in the 2020 season, I believe with Hertz, you know, they built like a team stack and then they subbed out the expensive quarterback and they, they put in Hertz, the Russian quarterback. Um, and so the, you know, point being they've got this stack that's absolutely dependent on, a quarterback going off, but they don't even have that quarterback as part of that, uh, tournament lineup and the tournament's lineup, lineups crushed. Like you can replace the quarterback production much more easily than you can the skill player production. So if you've got a team stacked up, not just for a week, but for the whole season, like you've made a big bet on the Broncos, the Broncos end up having an incredible season. You're going to benefit more from that if you've got the skill players who are going to be separating from their skill player peers in turn, like more kind of the distance between what they can do versus what kind of the average guy is going to do is going to be wider generally than a quarterback. Um, and you're also starting a lot more skill position players every week. So getting those performances is so much more critical to your lineup than a quarterback where you only have to find one score a week. And then even on a single week basis, you know, if you can get a guy to kind of slot in, even if you're only getting like 80, percent of what that quarterback who went off is doing, you know you didn't have to pay for that guy potentially like you you know if someone snipes you on Herbert okay that's a bummer but now you have an extra like fourth round pick right. that you can spend so on something else and you can now you've got a charger stack but then you can also build if you get like let's say you start okay I'll pivot now I'm going to take Marquise Brown I'm going to go get Kyler Murray who's fallen to the you know fifth you get him in all day in the fifth round, fifth round now sometimes in the sixth and now you're able to build up a cardinal stack, so now your team actually has more firepower because someone sniped you. Right. It's not always going to work out like that. Sometimes it really hurts to get sniped on the quarterback. But I think in general, you know, I'm ne- I'm never like, oh, I'm going to snipe this guy and ruin his team or you know, get that quarterback. I don't want the naked quarterbacks um, if I can help it. Yeah, and the other point too, like like you
1: mentioned the Chargers, like say you have, you know, obviously. Eckler, Mike Williams, and Keenan Allen all go within the first, you know, three, four rounds, but like you can you're you're able to get two of them on the same team and say you miss out on Herbert because that's obviously a very difficult stack to get. But like you can still go, especially in these larger um contests, you can go get Matt Stafford for week seventeen or something like that. Like, Like there's a lot of other ways to maximize the upside of the stack without actually having the quarterback. Um I've done that in a couple builds with like um, if I missed out on Josh Allen when I've – because I draft a lot of Stephon Diggs in that like 8, 9, 10 range in the first round. But if I miss out on Allen, like I'll still take Gabe Davis. I'll still take Dawson Knox because we know the Bills are going to have weeks where they score 40. And then if you want to you know, maybe – and then like another way, because I'm huge on Tyler Boyd. He's one of my favorite late-round uh players. But like you can get Burrow and Boyd. And it's like yeah. – ju- like you can't just look at it as, oh, my quarterback – Is gone from my stack, and now the rest of the roster, the build is completely useless because my plan didn't work out. Because a lot of these drafts, your plan's not going to work out. And that's why I like, like I've gotten a lot better, I think, at just finding and, and, you know, making sure I have outs for later on in the draft so I I can not have that feeling where, oh, I missed my quarterback. Oh, I missed this. And now my team isn't like, it's not looking like what I thought it would, but there's still ways to maximize upside.
2: For sure. And I mean, if you think about, You know, especially with those expensive quarterbacks, like there's probably a wide receiver going in the fifth round that we're going to view as someone you needed to have. I mean, it's the cliche. It's probably going to be Chris Godwin, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Let's say it's Chris Godwin. Okay. And then you, you get sniped on, you know, a quarterback and, you know, you have, you get Chris Godwin. Let's say it's even, let's say you went, um, Chase and Higgins and, You know, in a sixth round, someone reaches for Burrow to make sure you don't get him and you, you know, you're able to take Chris Godwin in the early sixth or maybe late fifth or whatever it is. Right. If Chris Godwin is that guy. And you can figure out quarterback, you know, with a later round pick or, you know, you're going to potentially, you know, maybe you get a Russ, maybe you get a Dak and then you get you end up getting someone like an Aaron Rodgers. You have the potential to really outscore the version of your team where you got the guy you wanted in pro because there's, you know, the potential for Chris Godwin in the, that upside scenario is like, he's putting up 35 points in the week yeah. 17 championship. I mean, there are guys like, you know, imagine like getting sniped last year and I was like, ah, I guess I'll take Cooper cup then You know, <laughs> there's, there's going to be situations. We don't know who that is, but I think that guy probably exists. It's funny, actually. It's not in best ball, but in one of my,
1: uh, main leagues last season, I like, I was, I will, I will not, uh, pretend I wasn't. I was Robert Woods over Cooper Cup last season this time. And it, that happened in one of my drafts I was like, ah, somebody, like one of the running backs or receivers I won. I was like, I literally said, like, I'm pretty sure I said it out loud, I guess I'll take Cooper Cup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you need a little help, you know? Like, I think I actually said that. Um, but, yeah, stacks are obviously a pretty focal point of best ball. Let's talk about stacks in uh, particular, like some of your favorite stacks. Let, let's let's not. I mean, if you want to talk about them, like Buffalo, Chargers, Bengals, sure. But like maybe some more overlooked stacks. I will say the Bengals real quick. I just wanted to add the fact that, like, I love the Bengals. I, I love them and I love getting Boyd where I, where I can get him. But in terms of like some.
0: With the Lucky land slots. you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Atlanta, you know, bottom of the barrel type stacks. But, you know, maybe not the Bills, the Chargers, and, and that range.
2: I think I, I've done some of the Titans uh, with Tannehill because you can get Austin Hooper super late if you need an mm-hmm. extra tight end. And one thing that the Best ball articles kind of opened my eyes to is that tight end might be undervalued in general. And to get a guy like Hooper is, like, you know, super unsexy. But if you have, let's say – Kittle, who we know is like crazy and consistent. And then you also have a guy like, um, you know, let's say uh, Tyler Higby or something. I think normally you'd be like, oh, I have Kittle and Higby. I'm probably good to stop there. But that extra guy like a Hooper, you know, that third tight end, even with an elite, maybe that helps get Kittle an extra round through because you, know, you happen to get a, a touchdown. Hayden Hurst would be maybe another example. It's like Hayden Hurst gets two touchdowns in week fifteen. You get a Kittle team through that really shouldn't be there. He blows up in week sixteen or seventeen and, you know, it, it wins you a ton of money. So um I'm kind of more open to three tight end builds than I have in the past. And so, so Hooper, am I. we we can talk yeah. about that next, but so am I, especially with Kittle like in a perfect
1: world, George Kittle would not be Inconsistent at all in fantasy because he's arguably the best tight end in football. But I think I was I was writing yesterday he was like 18th in, among tight ends in pass routes last season. Like he's so damn good at run blocking, it kind of limits not limits, but it hurts his weekly upside because he's not running. his like I think Mark Andrews ran almost 20 more routes per game than George Kittle last season. Like it's it's tough to compete with Kelsey and Andrews if you're not running. Yeah. You know
2: if you're running 20 less routes. And we don't know, like, this offense could be really, really run heavy. And, and so it mm-hmm. could be even worse this year in terms of the incons- inconsistency, but he's such a talent and he's, he's, I going mean, you saw the like spike. The fifth week, round. Like
1: the two games he had, it was two games in a row. It was the Bengals and I think it was Seattle. He went absolutely crazy. It was back to back week. So it's like when he's on a per target basis, he's still as elite oh, as yeah. it comes. It's just he needs to consistently. The other and thing actually on like, a per route basis, he's still incredible. Yeah. He just doesn't run that many routes. Right. Um, but like yeah like i've been i've been really interested in, in some three tight end builds too because like i've been really high on brevin jordan he's like one of my most popular tight ends right now and it's like these late tight ends like i'm looking for somebody that's relatively talented no, i mean austin Hooper is like he's fine but like at the end of the day if you have he a chance stinks, to, <laughs> but he's gonna play <laughs> that's what I'm saying. if you have a chance to be second on your team in targets like that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Austin Hooper has a chance to be second on their team in targets. Brevin Jordan, in my opinion, has a chance to be second on his team in targets. So I agree. There's a lot yeah, of like Jordan. tight ends in that like Brevin Jordan, like I'm all in. And it's weird to be all in on Brevin Jordan. He goes like two hundredth overall, but like I don't know, man. Pep Hamilton's target shares for his offenses have been really high since he's been with the Colts. And again, like Jordan started the season hurt last season, but when he was healthy, he started to play more and was pretty consistent. So I'm excited. Good by prospect him. too. Yeah, like that's, that's what I'm looking for at the, at the, you know, second, uh, or the, the you know, towards the end of the draft for your second or third tight end. Uh, yeah. but yeah, Titan stack, like, the are they one thing Dallas I like, week 17 too. They
2: play Dallas. So there's a couple reasons that kind of end up there. One is that I do like Traylon Burks. Um, and, you know, he's, he's had a couple periods of being really discounted. I think we're entering another one. Um, and so I, I I'm still taking him. And so that sets me up for a Tannehill stack. Um, but there's also, I think, kind of this bet you're making with the Titans where you need the Titans to be good for Tannehill to continue starting. But obviously, right. if you're taking Titans, you you want them to be good. So, uh, you know, I think it's it's like a decent bet because Willis is so raw that I think if the Titans are – it'll be kind of like a Jimmy G situation. Like, even if they end up moving on from Tannehill after the year, I think he'll play the whole season if they're good. Um and the other thing as you mentioned they played Dallas week 17 i'll sometimes start to set up some Dallas stuff uh and if i get sniped on dak i'll just I'll, you know whatever i'll play from the tennessee side and kind of punt quarterback 2 which i i prefer to get quarterback 2 taken care of a little bit earlier but uh i don't mind it's kind of a fallback option but really for the stacks i mean i i don't go in saying like i'm going to you know prefer this stack or that stack i kind of pick the skill players that i like you know that are kind of going like where I'll take a value on a guy or I'll kind of let the draft fall to me um and then maybe four rounds in kind of start to think about okay what does this set me up for you know maybe the first time I'm thinking about a quarterback if like i have andrews and i'm like gosh ah, should i take jackson here maybe i'll push jackson see if i can get him in the 5th and mm-hmm. if i can't get him in the 5th you know where where else can i go should i you know I, you know one thing i do is sometimes i'll take Hurts in the sixth because I know I can get Devontae Smith uh, yeah, off do the that seventh or I can get Goddard. I do that um, a lot, yeah.
1: especially because in that range, it's like there is definitely a drop-off for me. We we know there's a drop-off at running back. It's probably for me like after Dobbins is the first drop-off. Maybe like Dobbins, uh Brees Hall, that, Z, uh, that range with Zeke. And then at receiver, there's a little bit of a drop-off for me. And like a lot of those uh parts of the draft, like Jalen Hurts is there. I don't have yep. AJ Brown, but I see Devonta Smith can be there when I come back up, or Dallas Goddard's still there. And you don't even need to stack Joan Hurts, to be honest, but like you still can. So I've drafted a lot of Jalen Hurts. Another stack that's really interesting too is Kansas City, just because Oh yeah. That's not like it was like Kansas City has been like what the Chargers are now the last couple of years, where it's like everybody's going in the first couple of rounds. And everybody, I really mean Tyreek and Kelsey, but like Kelsey, first, second round. And then it's like Juju in the middle, fifth, sixth, fourth, fifth, sixth, which actually really getting higher on Juju because I think he could lead this team in touchdowns. Um, and then you have Sky Moore, you have Valdez Scantling. Michael Hardman's dealing with a little bit of a groin injury right now, but um, there's like it's it's a Patrick Mahomes offense, and this is the easiest it's been to stack up that entire offense since he's been Patrick Mahomes.
2: It's crazy. Yeah. I think it'll be, you know, kind of a generational opportunity for us to get. Chiefs stacks this cheaply. Um, I I love stacking the Chiefs. I also like Denver. You know, I think yeah. I, I'm pretty bullish on Russ. Uh,
1: I'm so I, high on Sutton. So it's like when I first started doing drafts this offseason, I, I, like Russ Sutton stacks, it was just. And then unfortunately, I had a lot of Tim Patrick, too. Um, yeah. But like the marriage that they're going to have in their I've talked about this a lot in this podcast, but like I think they complement each other's games so well. And then now, like, there's – the weird thing is, that, like, I don't have a, as much Alberto as I thought. I have been drafting a lot more Greg Dolchich lately. And then KJ Hamler now has become interesting. But,
2: like, I love that stack. I love the Denver stack, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I just don't believe that they maximized him in Seattle. Like, uh, his best offense coordinator is probably uh, Brian Schottenheimer. And I'm like I don't think he's very good, right? So I'm willing to bet on uh, on Denver to kind of unlock him a little bit more, and frankly, just build an offense around him in a way that Seattle never did. And I know Russ has some limitations and stuff, but I-, I think we could see some really really exciting offense out of Denver, and to be able to set up that week 17 correlation by betting on one one of the potential breakout offenses this year in the Broncos. And then, yeah, this really unusual set of circumstances that lets us get cheap Chiefs uh, is just, it's like really difficult to pass up. So that's a go to for sure. I haven't been as quite as high on Juju just because he feels like a little bit more expensive than I think he should be. Yeah, I was but gonna I'm ask coming you about around. Because, like, I'm coming around on him.
1: I think he, unless Sky Moore is even better than everybody anticipates, because there's a lot of excitement, which is possible, I guess. I think Juju is a lock to finish number one on this team in targets at receiver. Obviously, Kelsey will be first. But, like, I think everybody's either, like, Juju's washed or it's been a bad situation. I don't think he's washed. I don't think he's – I mean, there was a time where Juju was, like, a top five dynasty receiver, right? It was like – Yeah. This is is one of the best receivers to have in dynasty. He's not that level, obviously, anymore. But, like, we have to also keep in mind he's dealt with injuries the past two seasons. He's played with, you know – a limited Roethlisberger, and then Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Like, I don't think Juju's a top 15 receiver in the NFL, but he's always been underrated in terms of scoring touchdowns. Like, I think in that one year with Hodges and and Rudolph, he scored a good amount of touchdowns. And I think, for, for whatever reason, Travis Kelsey only had four end zone targets last season. You would think that changes this season, but, like, I, I do think there's a chance that he uh, Juju leads his team in touchdowns. And we know Mahomes, yeah, Tyreek's not there. He's going to throw 38 to 40 touchdowns.
2: And Juju's really impressing in camp, and that's I think one of the mm-hmm. things that's leading me to, yeah, yeah. And I think he'll play somewhat on the outside. I think in some ways Sky Moore might be good for Juju potentially. Maybe maybe not. Like if Sky, Sky Moore could be very bad for Juju, but I think there's some outcomes where more Moore is playing, and let's say half of his snaps are coming in the slot, maybe even more. And so when he's out there, maybe he's pushing juju to the outside and you get a three wide receiver set of mvs juju and sky Moore in the slot i think that might be sometimes better for juju than you know miko hardman who i imagine would play somewhat outside i don't know it's one of those things where probably um i think Moore and juju can probably coexist if uh if they're both playing really well this year, yeah. and and Mikko Hardman is probably going to be the odd man out there if if more comes on. So, and if Juju um, plays
1: out wide too, that'll be interesting because what did we see from defenses last year? Copycat league, everybody's playing this too high safety look yeah. against Buffalo, against Kansas City, and that's why Tyree kills and and Mahomes, Mahomes' is, um, yards per attempt and everything they were like career lows. Tyree killed had a career high in targets, but it was a lot of more intermediate screen stuff like that. I wonder if teams have the same approach against the Chiefs now that Tyreek Hill's not there. If they do, that you would think that's bad for Juju where he operates. But if he's playing out wide more and he's running more downfield routes, that could actually be better for him because he's not getting these, you know, this tight end type usage. His A dot wasn't going to be like it was in Pittsburgh; like that was unbelievably low. But if teams start to bring these safeties up closer to the line of scrimmage now because they're not worried about Tyreek, then Juju can still make plays down the field. Like so, I've been really getting a lot more excited about Juju. Um, well, I think that's probably MVS. If they play, yeah. if they,
2: if they're not playing the too high stuff, I think MVS will feast. Um, but yeah, I think MVS is probably good I'm strictly good saying enough.
1: like when MVS is on the field. But yeah. Like if if their two wide sets are Juju and MVS, then yeah, MVS like that'll be good for him. But like still, um, I'm interested to see how teams defend the Chiefs. And the other thing, like we know the Chiefs have always been a pass heavy offense. What if they just there's like everybody's talking about Clyde and Pacheco and Ronald Jones, like. They might just say, "Screw it, we're not running the ball." Like, like our sk- our strength of our team is Patrick Mahomes and this really good offensive line and Travis Kelsey. And Mahomes could just, especially in that division, especially with the defense being okay, like just throw forty five
2: times a game, and then everybody can kind of eat. Yeah, and if they're playing too high, the defenses are playing too high against the Chiefs. You know, I think they can really, like, who was supposed? Okay, so Tyree Kill, you know, still had a ton of targets last year, huge target share. But his A dot came down and he wasn't kind of in that true deep threat role that he'd previously been in because of the coverages. But there's no one else. Like if they did send Tyreek Hill downfield and kind of sacrificed him, there's no one else who could really get open in the intermediate areas. I think that'll change. I think Juju, you know, I'm more skeptical than the market, but I think he can get open in the intermediate area and the shallow areas. Kelsey obviously can. And then potentially I think Sky Moore coming on could be really, really good for the offense overall. Because that's his whole game. His whole thing is getting open in the mm-hmm. intermediate level. So, uh, that would potentially be really, really powerful for the Chiefs because MVS is the type of guy actually that you can basically just kind of send downfield on almost every route. He's kind of a one dimensional guy who that, but that one dimension is, is really important. Um, so yeah, I think overall, like Mahomes won't have any one weapon who's anywhere near as good as Tyree Kill. But you could see scenarios where the offense is actually just as dynamic as it was. Maybe even a little bit more dynamic in a best-case scenario because you've upgraded Byron Pringle. You've upgraded Demarcus Robinson. Miko Hardman's still there, but he's still the wide receiver four. And the two guys ahead of him are way better than basically the two guys ahead of him were last year.
1: Yeah, and like Juju last year was like 77% slot rate. I think it was even higher the year before, like – I like if he plays out wide more and there is situations where he can, you know, get vertical, like that's that's going to, you know, obviously maximize his upside more because we just haven't seen it the past couple years. And like I said, he had 9 touchdowns in 2020 with with Rudolph and Hodges, like he could score 10, 11 touchdowns pretty easily in this offense. He's yeah. he's kind of always been underrated in the red zone. Um a stack that I was I've been high on, but like Daniel Jones is kind of struggling in practice right now, but I'm still high on it is the Giants. Um, especially if you, like, compiled that stack a couple months ago where Saquon was going in the third round. I mean, there's you got to think, Pat, there's probably going to be some teams that make some noise that drafted Saquon in the third if Saquon hits like a lot of people expect and hope he will. Um, but, like, Saquon's obviously going to be involved in the passing game. I am a huge Brian Dayball fan. I saw their first preseason game, and Mike Kafka was actually calling plays for that game. But you could already tell. We saw it in practice and training camp. There was more pre-snap motion. More spread out offense. We saw that with Kafka in that first couple, those first couple drives where, um, it was more spread offense. There's more pre snap motion. That's good for Barkley. He's going to see, I think he's going to f- see fewer stack boxes because of it. If they're playing all these four wide sets, which Kafka and Dayball have done with the Chiefs and Bills respectively. And then obviously, like, I'm huge on Kadarius Tony. I mean, last time you're on the podcast, you and Debro actually. Yeah, laughed at me for you didn't laugh at me, but I was high on Tony. We might have.
2: I mean, you were very high on Tony I was, and high I was on not on Tony. Tony. You were was high, you were right. He's I good. I was
1: high on Tony. My two favorite receivers in this draft class were Tony and Amonra. So that was There you go. That was good. But no, like Daniel Jones still has some rushing upside. We've seen that obviously. Um I think he has a thousand rushing yards through his career so far. The problem I have is like I don't think Kenny is any good anymore. You still have Wandale there, but like that could still be enough just between, like, Jones, Barkley, and Tony with upside.
2: Yeah, in a way, I think you're better off that Galladay does seem to be washed. Yeah. Right? Because – And Shepard won't be back for a while. Yeah, you can kind of – I mean, he's dealing with a midseason Achilles. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he'll be a factor. And uh, the Giants clearly are, are signaling that because they drafted his replacement, in Wandale Robinson, I, I think, will basically play a pure slot receiver role. Um so who knows if, if Shepard will really get a ton of playing time even when he gets back. Probably not. So yeah, I think Wandale he has room probably to move up a little bit in ADP. One thing that uh on on the Road Road World football show, we've been having beat writers on and uh Denny and Pat talked to a, a New York Giants beat writer who's saying that, you know, if you think about it, if Saquon Barkley were to go down, Wandale Robinson would probably see a lot of work out of the backfield. Like he, might, mm-hmm. he might be there. He might be a contingency based running back play with wide receiver eligibility who also plays wide receiver in the meantime. So what you're saying, um, Pat, it's pretty is, strong.
1: It's 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 a it's an age old question on fantasy Twitter. But what you're saying is that Wanda Robinson is this year's Debo.
2: <laughs> you know, that would be. <laughs> yeah, maybe or maybe he's like this year's Patterson. Yeah, that's a better, that's actually a better comp. Yeah, I think that's like potentially what he is because Matt Breida is their backup. And uh not that like Wandale would be a, a workhorse running back. But, you know, you could imagine a world where like he is kind of a, you know, a change of pace back. And Breida carries like, you know, maybe half the workload or something because or, you know, and who knows, maybe they would trade for somebody. But it's a pretty interesting thought. And it's not really priced in because I think Wandale where he's going is probably a pretty good bet just as you know, a starting slot receiver for a team that's going to pass a decent amount and he will be their starting slot receiver. So I really like Wondell and uh, that makes the Daniel Jones back, the backdoor stack quite easy to pull off. If you're into Wondell Robinson, I also like Tony. He's moved up a little bit and I think, you know, he, he's like, he's missing a lot of practice time. He's always seemed to yeah. be dealing with an injury. There's sort of a, a mercurial nature to, to him. It seems like he doesn't, you know, there's, where he stands with the coaches is always a bit uncertain, you know, but physically very, very talented. And, uh, I think he gets open at will. So, uh, I, I've come basically not, maybe not fully around to your position on Tony, because I think some of the red flags, uh, that he had as a prospect have also turned out to be concerns in the pros, but I, I 100% underrated his talent.
1: Yeah, the thing I loved about Tony is just like his change of direction. That was like the first thing I noticed when watching him in Florida. And that's immediately what we saw. Like, uh, multiple times turning around Trayvon Diggs in that Dallas game. Like he's just really good. But yeah, he needs to stay on the field. It's been obviously most of the rookie season and it, and it was multiple injuries. It wasn't just one thing. And then obviously he's missed practice time so far, uh, this offseason. Um, two more stacks. I, I, like we kind of led with Jack or not led with, but like Jacksonville is interesting because of ETN and, you know, the connection with Trevor Lawrence. I think Lawrence was like, you know, 10 percent check down right last season, which was among the league leaders. Um, you would expect that to be. Uh, I don't want to say he's going to like there's going to be. It's not like Travis etn's just getting check downs. They're going to have plays designed for him out of the backfield or out wide in the slot. But like Christian Kirk is going in a range I still feel comfortable with him and you still have Marv. And you have the tight ends. I don't hate that stack. And then um, I also – I've just been getting a lot of Minnesota just because, like, I just want to draft Justin Jefferson. And obviously, like, you don't have to get Thielen, and you can still get KJ Osborne, who was, like, I think 12 or so points per game when Thielen was out of the lineup last season. So serviceable. And I think they also will play a lot more three-wide sets with Kevin O'Connell there because that's what the Rams did all the time with McVay. Not that it's going to be a carbon copy of McVay's offense, but you would expect more three-wide sets. That'd be great for K.J. Osborne. I think it's a decent player. He made plays down the field, too. um, For advanced stats for FTN Fantasy, deep receiving touchdowns, like K.J. Osborne was top five last season very quietly. Um, And then you have Irv Smith, who I'm not going to give up on. So uh, thoughts on those two and any other stacks that we haven't talked about that uh, kind of intrigue you uh, maybe in the later parts of the
2: draft? I like both those. Yeah, I mean, I I think the – Jacksonville one is is really nice because if you do need a quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're kind of coming up on like round 12 or whatever. Lawrence is is usually right there. Uh, and then, you know, very easy to backdoor stack. I That's think reason
1: I gravitate to it, too, because like Tua will be there. But like I haven't drafted on a Jalen and Waddle. Yeah. And then like obviously like who else are you going to draft? Like Tyreek and Waddle go in the first four rounds. Cedric Wilson's there like as a last pick. Jasicki's gonna run block for the first time in his life. So that's terrifying for, for fantasy. Yeah. There's reports from Jasicki. They signed Cedric Wilson. Immediately when they signed Cedric Wilson, I was like, this is bad. Cause like, you're not taking <laughs> Waddle or Tyreek off the field. So something's gotta give there. But yeah, Miami, the rest of their stacking options kind of don't excite me. Like, I like Chase Evans, but you're not basing a stack around Chase Edmonds, especially with the running backs they have on the roster still.
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you, and I don't think Tua has much of a, a weekly ceiling. Probably, like you, you saw with Jimmy G last year. You know, he was facilitating a very efficient offense, but he himself was not a very strong fantasy right. option. So the Dolphins are one where, like, you know, I've taken a fair amount of Waddle actually, and but then, and I've taken some Tyreek, and but typically, then maybe I tackle on Sony Michelle or I tackle on Chase Edmonds, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of betting on this offense to be efficient, but I. Not playing it through Tua. I, I rarely play it through Tua. Um, where I guess I actually have 6%, so I'm not like completely out, but I'm just not, I'm not gravitating to him all that much. Uh, the, who is it? Oh, the Vikings. Yeah, I think the Vikings are one of those ones where I'm probably not playing it through Cousins so much either, but I do like your call on KJ Osborne. I do agree that they're going to run a lot more route. I think there just be a lot more route to run per play. The offense right. last year was the lowest in the league in terms of routes run. They they did like a lot of stuff like they'd leave in, you know, the running back or tight end or whatever and to block. And so you're just like there were just less routes. And so I think um, you know, it's kind of old school type of type of approach. I completely agree. I think O'Connor will probably run more three wide receiver sets. I think he'll just also like utilize more of his players as receivers on a given play, which should be good for Irv Smith, should be good for Dalvin Cook. Etc. So I like the Vikings one, but probably more is like, you know, you skip cousins and you you get a couple Vikings. Uh, The Saints are probably the last one uh, for me because I do like the Eagle stuff, but you don't always get Hertz. Hertz is kind of moving up in ADP. But if you have, you know, AJ Brown, he gets sniped on Hertz. He's the second guy, right, in terms of the ADP, uh, the second Eagle that you might take. So alright, I know I'm not getting hurts, but I can tack on a Kenneth Gainwell. And maybe yeah. I'm, I'm tacking on a Chris Olave or a Michael Thomas or a Jarvis Landry to get that week seventeen correlation built in with like I've got two Eagles, let me get a Saint. And now I've also given myself an out to okay, I can tack on Jameis here and uh you know get get myself like a legit week seventeen game stack for I mean, it, you know, it doesn't really cost you. You didn't have to go, like, out of your way to do it. You're like, I was already kind of doing this thing, and if Jameis is there in the 12th round or whatever, I can I can just add him. So I've done a decent amount of that. Um, I think he's probably, you know, I think all these guys are kind of in play. I, I wouldn't, like, I'm looking. I've got, like, 6% Jameis, 6% Trevor Lawrence, uh, 6% Justin Fields, uh, 10% Daniel Jones. I, I'm not really, like pushing myself towards anything. It's kind of like I'll sort of set up the out and then see if I can get a good price on the quarterback. And if I can't, you know, maybe I've already taken Jacoby Myers or, you know, I want to – I've been thinking I need to get more Kendrick Bourne anyway, so I'll I'll just go to Mac Jones a little bit later or whatever it is. Yeah, I I always forget about the Patriots because, like, their first pass
1: catcher goes, what, 10th,
2: 11th round? yeah.
1: It's yeah, it's almost the
2: running back that you'd it. Like, if I get Ramondre, sometimes that's what pushes me right towards one of the Patriots' uh, The Patriots backdoor stack. The Saints-Eagles is interesting because there's a lot of different ways you can build that. Because, like,
1: probably easier a week or so ago or earlier when Kamara was, like, third round. Kind of a little bit around Barkley's range. But now he's probably, like, he might start going the first in some drafts. Um but, like, Jameis goes late, and Michael Thomas looks to be doing a lot better. He's probably going to start you know, moving up a little bit. But you still have Landry. You still have Alave. And then the Eagles, we talked about all the Eagles. Uh, I like the Gainwell call as well, too. Like, I was so high in Gainwell coming out of Memphis. Like, what they did with him as a receiver. Like, he would line up against corners on the outside and win. And mm-hmm. last year, he was pretty good in yards per out run. He lined up out wide in the slot. It's just – and he was their clear two-minute and third-down running back. I don't think that's changing. And especially if, like – Everybody talks about with AJ Brown and Devonta Smith, like, what if the Eagles' pass rate just goes way up? It's not going to be what it was to start the season last year. But what if, you know, after bringing in AJ Brown and extending him and giving him the contract extension, the Eagles just say, we're going to, f- I mean, I don't think the preseason game one is going to be a full, you know, uh, view of, of what we're going to see from them. But first team offense comes out with Joan Hurts, they drop back to pass all eight times. Like, maybe they are going to be pass heavy. And if that's the case, Sure, A.J. Brown could smash, or will smash. Sure, Devonta Smith will probably smash, but Kenneth Gainwell could too. Um, Mm -hmm. Miles Sanders is dealing with a hamstring injury right now. So, yeah, I like the Gainwell call a lot. Wrapping up with Irv Smith, I want to get back to him. It it seems like forever ago, but 2020, he played weeks 14 through 17 with Kyle Rudolph out. During that span, Irv Smith was tight end four in fantasy, uh, second among all tight ends in end zone targets. He ran around on nearly 90% of their passing snaps and he was eighth among all tight ends in routes run during that stretch. And as you mentioned, like, this team's going to run more routes this year. They're going to throw the ball. That was in a different offense. So I'm still on an Irv Smith. I understand, like, the argument I make for tight ends is I want them to have a chance to be second on their team targets. That's not happening with Irv Smith, but I'm also just a believer in the talent, the offense as a whole, and the abilities he has and the opportunities to score touchdowns and stuff like that. So.
2: I've had a hard time with with Irv Smith actually. He he does go a lot earlier than I anticipated, though. Like, I think he goes ahead of Cole Komet, which you wouldn't think. He goes really early, and there's kind of this group that I consider him a part of that's, you know, Pat Fryermuth and Irv Smith, Mike Jasicki, where it's like they're not really any different to me than Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting those guys so much later. Like, I do see a difference between those guys and Austin Hooper and Hayden Hurst. But, like, Higby is literally what we're hoping Irv Smith will be. (laughs) We're literally hoping he has an every snap role in an offense like the Rams. And would probably be a similar, like, with a similar target share. And so now you're, like, really just betting on Irv Smith having a better yards per target or better touchdown rate than Tyler Higby. Like, I'm open to that idea, but really for like the same price (laughs) i'll take them like i have my choice between the two yeah sure i'll take irv but you're talking about two
1: or three rounds sometimes i had john daigle on the pod this time last season and he was like hyping up higby and i I was just like i I don't see it like i'm not into it and like the first game of the season he played like a hundred percent of the snaps ran a ton of routes and i was like yeah i'm gonna be wrong and then ended up not
2: really being wrong because he wasn't that good but like yeah that well, is he the drops he drops some touchdowns want. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's exactly he's my highest on tight end which is which is gross I, I don't like it but but uh, the other I
1: thing mean, too <laughs> is like they Cooper Cup cemented obviously I think a- I love A-Rob um, I think he's going to be good I don't think he's washed like a lot of people do but then it's like Van Jefferson's been dealing with injuries who are these people because he's going in like the third round I don't know like I I, I, I see sometimes like oh Allen Robinson's washed and I'm like he he was checked out last season like we need to get more of them, more of those people drafting. <laughs> um, but no, like Van Jefferson, not 100 percent right now. And then Odell's hurt and not on the team. Like there's obviously rumors that he could come back, but like the target competition really isn't as like it's a little bit different when Cup and Robinson are going to get so much of the targets. But like Higby's going to be a full time player, and yeah, I, I should probably be drafting a little bit more of him, especially because. I do have a lot of Robinson and Stafford stacks, but like not as much uh, Tyler Higbee because I have been infatuated with like Brevin Jordan and and some of the other tight ends. Uh, best ball. <laughs> talk, talk about it for two hours, Pat. Appreciate you stopping by. Uh, one more time, plug everything going on over at NBC Sports Edge, the Twitter, all that great stuff. Uh, and it's August eighteenth, man. Like there's preseason on tonight. Like. Something might change within the next three hours. This pod might
2: be useless by tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully not completely. We talk, we talked about it a lot. <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean things have changed all the time. Uh the research that I that I mentioned earlier, um, you can check that out on Roto World, uh, two part article series. It is pretty in depth, but um I put out uh my pinned tweet is the thread on the quarterback findings, which is kind of, you know, like the too long didn't read and it also links to the uh, I quote tweeted from the the previous article where I did the same thing. So if you're just kind of curious for some of the quick takeaways, uh, you can find it there. I also will mention just briefly from the zero running back stuff we were talking about earlier, I think one of the key findings, if you are interested in kind of here running back, zero running back builds in best ball, was that you probably do want to prioritize making sure you have at least sufficient running back depth before you hit the late rounds. And I probably, it's one of these things where you do the research and you're like, Well, I probably screwed up about a third of my drafts this year (laughs) because I wasn't doing that. You know, it's like, I think we talk ourselves into, I know I certainly do, like, oh, you know, Kenyon Drake, Kenyon Drake will have a role. And then it's like, well, actually, no, he might. I mean, maybe he doesn't make the team. You know, it's actually Mir Abdullah was the guy or the we there's so much chaos. We talk about chaos at the top of the running back position, but probably at least I sometimes have a tendency to underestimate, you know, the chaos that kind of the lower into the depth chart and you think like, oh, I can get this guy in the 17th round and he's going to, he's really going to matter. He's really going to make a difference. Kind of the Darrington Evans syndrome. Right. So, um, about, I do think like Jake Funk last year, Jake Funk, um, you know, Dearness, Dearness Johnson's a guy I've been drafting a ton of because I think, yeah, Hey, I look, Hunt might, he's good. Hunt might get traded. Dearness might get traded. You know, I only need one of these outcomes and all of a sudden he's got value, but and there's a lot of universes in which Tiernas Johnson makes zero noise this year. And so yeah. it's like just keeping in mind that you really do want to have enough running back upside that where you're not relying on pure, pure dart throws with these, these builds like hero running back that are dependent on, you know, finding that running back upside in the later rounds, probably pushing that up more to like round 10, 11, 12 where you're actually in like a much more fertile ground of of running backs who like aren't gonna get cut. <laughs> I think is something that like I I'm really gonna emphasize for the last uh you know for kind of the final push of draft season in, in my best ball leagues.
1: Yeah, the thing I love about the running backs on the fantasy teams I draft is that they play for NFL teams. It's it's pretty sick. It's a pretty sick concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what, I know. That's what I'm looking for. That, <laughs> that is
2: important as it turns out. <laughs> but yeah, you can uh you can chat up Rotor Wolf Football Show. Uh, we've got a ton of good stuff going on there, and uh, in season, I'll have my walkthrough article, my preview column uh, coming out uh, on Friday mornings. And uh, the first one of those will be coming out a week before the first uh, NFL game. So you'll have a, a week to digest the very first, uh, very first walkthrough.
1: Awesome! Great stuff. Always fun chatting. And uh appreciate you stopping by. Make sure you check out Pat's work, it's great stuff, and uh follow him on Twitter. That'll do it for us this week. Everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy some more preseason football. Hopefully, uh Antonio Gibson can get back with the first team. I think he did actually, so uh, good for him. Um, but just <laughs> the news is gonna keep happening, it's gonna keep shuffling in, so make sure you're paying attention and uh get in those best ball streets after uh taking some some notes from Pat today. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll see you guys next time.
0: Hi. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the FTN Datacast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And follow the hosts on Twitter
2: at AFiFer24 and at Lochner NFL.